back in the series on 1 John. And um, we have been in this series for quite a while, and we took a break during uh, Advent and, and Christmas seasons. Uh, and uh, we are going to be finishing up this series uh, in a few more weeks. We're in now going into chapter 5 today. And more recently in this series, John has once again brought the theme of love. There's a lot of themes in John, uh, light, but love is one of the strongest ones. And John has once again come around to what it means to love God and, and know the love from God and then share that love with others, with our brothers and our sisters and with others. Well, today's passage, the theme of the importance of love continues. It's still present, but there's another cardinal virtue of the big three, faith, hope, and love, that makes another appearance, and that is the nature of faith. Today, faith comes front and center, along with still the importance of love, but faith today is in focus. The nature of faith, we'll look at this week, and next week, we'll look and consider more the knowledge of faith. Now, our scripture reading today is found in John, 1 John, the book of 1 John, the back of your Bibles. Look on the screen, use your device, pick up a pew Bible, whatever is most convenient for you, but listen carefully and with great appreciation and attention to the reading of the word of the living God from 1 John chapter 5. Verses 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God remains and abides forever. Let's ask his blessing upon it. Father, once again, we come into your presence asking for your light, for Father, our Hearts are darkened by sin. Father, the truth will not come clear and come home to our hearts and to our lives and make an impact unless you send it by your Holy Spirit, unless you open our eyes and unstop our ears to hear spiritual truth and to receive the engrafted word with meekness. And then, Lord, by your grace and only by you, can there be peaceable fruit of righteousness, real change taking place in us? Father, 
will you do that today for your own glory? And Lord, show us again what it means to overcome by faith. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you, historically speaking, those of you with a little more age on you or some of you younger folk uh, that do like to study history and do your research, some of you know what V-Day was, right? Also called V-E-Day, but V-Day. There's a picture of it. The great celebration in, from World War II, V-Day was celebrated on May the 8th, 1945, to mark the formal acceptance of the Allies in World War II's defeat and unconditional surrender of Nazi Germany. It marked essentially the end of World War II in Europe. That was V-Day, Victory Day. Well, interesting, the word victory and its counterpart, overcome, which is used, both of those are used in our text today. Both of those words derive from the same Greek word we would say today, like the shoe company, Nike. But that's not correct. If you want to pronounce it properly, it would be Nike. Nike. Last syllable gets the accent, and it's long. Nike, not Nike. Athena Nike was the Greek goddess of victory, speed, and strength. I'll show you a slide there. Uh, actually, I took that slide, uh, took that picture uh, on the Acropolis on our Footsteps of Paul journey last uh, fall, uh, previous to this uh, past one. And uh, that is the uh, uh, temple of Athena Nike. Now, here's a, another slide that shows you, uh, she's not the big one, she's the little bitty one with the wings. And, uh, and uh, that's Athena. But again, supposedly the goddess of victory. Uh, and all of the words that Paul, uh, that John uses today come from that uh, uh, idea of that victory notion and either over, rendered as overcome or being victorious. Uh, interesting. John also, thanks. John is also interested in victory today. Did you know that? <laughs> he tells us so. He talks about overcoming, about having victory about being victorious. Matter of fact, the focal point in our passage is really found in the second part of verse 4. Look again in your Bibles. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So today, John is concerned about helping us understand what overcoming faith is what it does, what its object is, what its source is, and what its effects are. So that's what we're going to look at. Today's outline, we're looking at overcoming faith's object, source, and its effects. Okay? There we go. Let's dig in with the first one. Overcoming faith source. That's found basically in verse 1. Look again at your text. Verse 1. 
everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Now, the focus here is, so how do you, if you ever find somebody that believes, if somehow somebody's walking around saying, I'm a believer, what is John saying? If that ever happens, it's because God did something first. That person is, believes what they do and has the faith they have because they are born of God. It's the causal reason for your or my faith or anyone else's faith. It's very important to understand and not well understood in many churches even today and throughout history. You see, overcoming faith, overcoming faith has God as its source. Let me say that again. Overcoming faith has God as its source. It's the fountain from which that flows. Without God, it would not be there. Our faith is God-birthed in this passage. If you have faith, it's because God birthed that faith, put that faith in you, gave it to you. Just think about a child. Just as a child's birth comes before it ever says a word, ever does a thing, its ability to do and say and speak, all of those things are predicated upon its birth that had to come first. Interestingly, it's true so of spiritual birth. Some don't want to seem to understand that. They think faith causes the new birth. It does not. The new birth is what causes you to have the faith to believe. It points ultimately back again to the sovereignty of God. The verb believe is interestingly in the present tense. And the word born is in the perfect tense. You know what that effect is? Essentially, past event with continuing ongoing action in the present. So because God birthed you, regenerated you, brought you, in this term, born again, made you born again, now as a result of that, consequence of that, flowing out from that fact is your faith, your trust. In him. This means our continued belief is the result of a past action of God's regenerating new birth. You don't believe it? Listen to John 3. Jesus speaking, remember, when he was talking to the learned scholar, a member of the Sanhedrin, Nicodemus? And he basically is going... Nicodemus, come on, man. Seriously? You don't get this. You you don't understand. And Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, 
unless one is born of water and the Spirit. It's not enough outward. It's not about, it's an inward, heart, inside job. Inside of your spiritual nature, there has to be a change. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Later on, he says he can't even see it, much less enter it. In other words, God has to act first because we're dead in trespasses and sins in order for us to have the faith to believe. Faith is not something you and I bring to the table, folks. It's not a negotiating chip with God. You don't bring your faith and say, Lord, see how much faith I have in you? Now will you do? No. It is his gift to us that lets us lay hold of Jesus and receive God's gift. Faith is the hand receiving God's gift. But even that very faith is not of ourselves, according to Ephesians 2, 89, but of grace. For by grace we are saved. For by grace we are saved. I just went blank on that. I know that like the back of my hand. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It is, <laughs> there you go. It, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. Thank you very much. Appreciate that help. I told you I needed help. That's why I got Rick. <laughs> uh, so, helps us lay hold of Jesus. Now, the second thing here. Not only is faith's source pointed out here by John, but its effects, the consequences of faith being present. Overcoming faith's effects, that's in verse 2 through 4. A, first part of verse 4. Listen again. By this, we know, he's going to say, here, here's, how you, here's how you can tell, here's the effect, that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commands, his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Now, as Christians, here, what we're seeing is the over coming faith has spirit-empowered love and obedience as its effects. That's what that passage is telling us. It has spirit-empowered love and obedience and overcoming the world as its effects. As Christians, our love for God is multi-divisional. Or excuse me, multi-dimensional. There we go. <laughs> I need to get my glasses checked. Multi-dimensional. It flows from the Father, but it streams to many other branches as well. It, it flows to Him, but it also goes out to those that are also born of Him, our brothers and sisters, and to others. John knew that loving God and obeying God are distinguishable, but they are inseparable. You can distinguish the two, loving and obeying, but they both always go together. Like peanut butter and jelly. They, they just go together. You don't find one without the other. 
if someone's been born of God. And ultimately, if they've been born of God, they will overcome the world. I'm going to talk more about that a little bit later. Loving God rightly is not just a matter of outward obedience. It's not just doing the thing. It's the if, if we have been born of God, we have the motive that is different. It's not just about complying with the command. It's doing it with a cheerful and glad heart because of what God has done for us. It is love moving us to greater obedience and gratitude moving us to more heartfelt service and love for God and for others. It is longing to do His will from a heartfelt gospel gratitude for who He is and what He has done for you and me. This is why His commandments aren't burdensome, aren't, aren't grievous, aren't, aren't, aren't a load to carry. Because it's no longer I have to, it's I want to. For what, how did Paul say it? For we no longer live unto ourselves, but for him who for our sakes died and rose again. That takes all of the have to out of it. And it gives us the joyful, loving heartfelt response of gratitude, I want to. How can I do anything less? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my heart, my all. That's the flow here in what John is saying. If you're born of God, these are things that are just going to be there. It's the presence of God being manifested in your love for him and for others and you're not going to say, boy, God is such a heavy master. He's requiring so much. Do you want your life, the things you do and say, to be a demonstration of the proof of God's love for you? I want you to listen to this uh, uh, lion chorus from uh, a group, Christian group, uh, King and Country. Some of you know, know them, know who they are. Uh, enjoy their uh, Christmas uh, album that I uh, this year uh, during uh, the Christmas season. But uh, they have a song on their first album called "Proof of Your The Proof of Your Love." Listen to these words: When all is said and done, when we sing our final song, only love remains. Only love remains. Let my life be a proof, the proof of your love. They're saying, God, because you're in me and because you've changed me, let my life show it, be a proof, a demonstration of your great love for me. Let my life be the proof, the proof of your love. Let my love look like you and what you're made of, how you lived, how you died. Love is sacrifice. So let my life be the proof, the proof of your love. That's what a Christian wants. That's what he longs for. Oh, we will fail to do it. We will not always do it. But your heart of hearts wants that because you've been born of God, if you have been. 
You want to see him glorified in your best moments. Oh, there are times you will put yourself on the throne as I do. But in the truest part of you, you will want him. You would want your life to be a proof of your love. That's why he's left you here. That's why I'm still here. That's what John's getting at. Finally, overcoming faith's object. We've looked at its source. We've looked at its effects. But what's its object? What's its focus? Where does it turn? What does it look to? Or who does it look to? Is really the better question, isn't it? Look at verse 5. And by the way, interestingly, there's a bookend here. The same thought is in verse 1 as well. But look at verse 5. It comes into full focus. Who is it that overcomes the world? Basically, John is saying, there's only one kind of person except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the person. That's the object, Jesus, the Son of God. Once again, John goes Christological on us. <laughs> That's the fancy word. He's going Christ-centered. He's going right to Jesus once again. It always, all, it all and always comes back to Jesus, who he is and what he has done and what we must believe about him. As I said, verse 1 and verse 5 are bookends. He's referred to in verse 1 as the Christ in verse 5, as the Son of God. He's both. He's the Messiah. He's the God's prophet, priest, and king. He's the Son of God. He is God. And he is the Messiah. The one who has come to be and offer atonement for us. The one to redeem us and bring us home to God. Those born of God will necessarily, John is saying, necessarily believe and continue to believe in the person of Jesus. That's an ongoing tense. It's not just, oh, yeah, you know, 10 years ago I believed in Christ, trusted Christ. Well, do you still? Yeah. Well, see, that, that's, that's the important point. It's not just I had some experience in the past where I trusted Christ. Do you still trust him today? That's what a Christian is. It's a person who still, through all these years, through all the up and downs, through all your failures, through all your belief and your doubt, you are still holding on to Jesus and you're not going to let him go. That's what a Christian is. That's not a super Christian. That's any Christian. Won't let go of Jesus. You see, when I was younger, I grew up in, in a, uh, going to a Methodist church and fairly regularly and you know I, I never doubted the, the basic facts the things that the church and the Bible taught I believe that Christ was the son of God so all's good with what this text says right I, I, I was I was fine right no <laughs> I, I believed he was the son of God I just had no idea what that meant no clue and I certainly didn't mean, know anything that that meant I had to trust him. That's the part. It was not until I was 17 years old that I was born again. 
and my eyes were opened to see and understand. It's not about just admitting the truth about him. It's not just assenting. I have to put my trust in him and him alone. You see, my friends, it's not a belief about a doctrine, nor an opinion, nor a formula, but a belief concerning a person, the person of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Do you believe in him is the question of the hour, of the day, of the year, and of all eternity. It all comes down to that. But it's not just an assent that you can have from afar. It's a belief and a trust that will make you follow him wherever he may lead you. It's a trust that makes you let go of every other trust. Let no no other trust get in the way but Christ and Christ alone. That's what John is talking about. You see, notice carefully that this is true for everyone. John says, everyone. This is the one that is an overcomer. He's the one that, it making, it's making no exceptions. Look again how he said that. Who is it that overcomes? He's basically implying not everybody is going to. Who is it? Who's the type of person? Who's, what, what's, what's unique about except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's one of the many exclusive claims of Jesus in the Bible. He made many personally when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty dang exclusive. There's no wiggle room there. John is just saying it another way here. You see, it's exclusive, and there are no other alternative routes, roads, bridges. There are no others. If we are to overcome and have victory in this life and in the world to come, there's no other, there's no other alternative available to men given under heaven. Acts 4.12, there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. The exclusive claims that there is only one, Jesus Christ. I know a lot of people today that are being influenced and thinking, you know, we're so, we're so narrow-minded, we're so bigoted, we, that we don't accept everybody else's. It's like saying, okay, you got one person that knows the cure to a dreaded disease, and you got a, a 50 other people out there hawking say they have the cure, but it's snake oil. If it's not going to get the job done, you don't give them equal footing. You don't say, well, that's just as good as this. Why not drink the snake oil? No. You need the medicine that will cure you. And Christ has said he is that only medicine. There is no other alternative. You see, overcoming doesn't come by faith in yourself, faith in the church, but only in the Son of God. 
We faith in what Jesus has done as the Son of God, the Messiah, not what we do or will do. Do you understand that? If you're a Christian, your faith is not in what you do, in your works, or whatever you do now, then, or someday in the future. It is in what's already been done and accomplished on the cross, and you wholeheartedly, unreservedly reach out and grasp that and hold on to Jesus. You receive that gift from the Son of God. Your faith is in him. Your eyes are fixed on him and him only. And you won't let anything else come between you and your elder brother, your big brother. You see, how can you overcome? How can you overcome? Have the victory over the world? It's because you and I do have a big brother. His name is Jesus. And he's come and he's done what he needed to do to make a way for us. And you know what? He knows how to deal with bullies. He knows how to deal with the world that bullies us. He knows how to deal with the devil. He knows how to deal with them because he's already secured the victory over them. And we will follow him in his footsteps. Christians don't fight for victory. Listen to me. Christians don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. The victory that's already his. The victory of Jesus Christ. I love, um, I got it here, I think I pulled it up. Lyrics to uh, Zach Hicks, his be the victor's name. His be the victor's name. Talk about Christ. His be the victor's name. Who fought the fight alone. Triumphant saints, no honor claim. It's not about you. It's not about me. Their conquest was his own. Our conquest, our victory, this says, was his and because of his. By weakness and defeat, he won the glorious crown, trod all the foes beneath his feet. By being trodden down, he came as a servant. He humbled himself and submitted himself to the cruel death of the cross. What though the vile accuser, because he did that, what though the vile accuser roar of sins that I have done, I know them well, and thousands more. My God, he knows none. If you are a Christian, if you believe and love and trust Jesus, then you know how vile your sins are. And they're known, but God knows none because they've been cast into the deepest sea of God's forgotten memory. No longer to haunt accusingly, for Christ has lived and died for me. So this hymn goes on. We've got to learn how to do this ensemble. We've got we to get this in the, in the repertoire. It's, it's a great, great old hymn uh, that Zach Hicks uh, brought you see, my friends, according to John, there isn't a, a victory express, but it runs on two tracks, trust and obey. Trust. Trust in Jesus. Keep your hope and your focus on him. Don't take your eyes off of him. And then out of gratitude, obey him, serve him, serve others, and you will overcome.
the world. Not only in the day, that's already been taken care of. We're going to overcome in the last day. Everything will be okay to those of us who are in Christ. But you will overcome now. There'll be a lighter step that you take. When you know and live in light of this truth, when you understand what Jesus has done, is this your overcoming faith? Is yours an overcoming faith? Amen. Father, Lord, we're not home yet. Thank you that we don't have to wonder when we open our eyes the other side of death that you're going to be there and you are preparing a place for us. Father, but the battle still is now and, and it's hard to overcome now. Help us keep our eyes on you. Help us keep our faith focused and out of joyful gratitude. Lord, let us recklessly serve and love one another. Father, we thank you for such a faith, such an overcoming faith that overcomes even now all the fears and doubts, Lord, that are in this world, thanking you that nothing that really matters can be taken from us because of Christ and what he has done. And we give you the praise and the glory both now and forevermore. Amen.